Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by pro trail runner Danny Moreno, who's been someone I've been wanting to have on the show for quite a while now. Danny spent much of her career as a pro racing sub ultra distances and has had a ton of success doing so. But in 2022, she decided to step up a distance a bit and focus her season on a handful of marquee international races. Well, she ended up on a couple podiums by year's end, including at the super competitive Mont Blanc Marathon and UTMB's OCC. So I wanted to ask her all about how she got there. We also spend a good deal of time talking about her background, including mending a broken relationship with running after burning out a bit from her college program, how she got into spearfishing of all things, as well as a bunch of other topical tangents. But before I bring Danny on, I want to take a quick minute to remind you guys about our annual Blister Summit, which is right around the corner. From February 12th through the 16th, we'll be hosting a series of summit events in our hometown of Mount Crested Butte, Colorado. Expect a bunch of on-snow activities and demo opportunities from industry-leading brands, panel sessions with company founders and professional athletes, nightly gear giveaways, the chance to pick the brains of blister reviewers, and a whole lot more. For more info on what to expect and how to register, check out the link in the show notes. And finally, if you've been enjoying the conversations I've been having on this show, please do us a favor and leave us a rating or review. Little things like that go a long way in supporting the podcast. Okay, let's get right into my conversation with Danny. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I was really excited to see that invite in my messages. Yeah, yeah. So when thinking about kind of where to start this conversation, I wanted to jump in like directly to your runs at the Mont Blanc Marathon and OCC from last year. But then I kind of realized that I don't know too much about your background other than that you've been racing sub ultra distances ever since I started getting into trail running like five or six years ago. So maybe that's a a good place to kick things off is just to get a better sense of your background and your life before uh, hopping onto the trails. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I started running at a pretty young age, like in middle school, we had a track club. And even then I found I was had an interesting fascination with it, I guess. Um, I really loved the fact that you could see yourself progress year to year. So even as a sixth grader, you know, I ran like six something for the mile and I was like, all right, next year I want to try and run six flat. And I already kind of had that mentality. Um, and so I started loving the sport, but I was primarily a soccer player. And so I was playing on multiple teams kind of always, uh, and then, uh, translated that to high school, still played soccer, cross country and track, and then, uh, was getting recruited for both, uh, but ultimately went with running in college. And so I attended the University of Santa Barbara and I ended up staying there for five years with a red shirt year. And I had some like good performances. I wouldn't say like great or anything like knocking it out of the water. Um, my goal is to be an All-American. I definitely fell short of that. Um, there was kind of some, I guess, difficulties and challenges that I faced throughout the, my collegiate career that a lot of athletes did. Uh, so following college, 
I decided to take some time off from running and I went immediately to becoming an outdoor guide, which was really um, great for me at that time in my life. So I took about a year or so off from running and then started uh, running while I was outdoor guiding started to find that I was loving it. And because I was an outdoor guide in the mountains, by the ocean, etc., I found myself in the mountains a lot when I would be, you know, running. It was mostly power hiking at that time. Um, and yeah, I just found it super fascinating. And I started to learn that it was a sport. And at that time, there really wasn't that much media coverage. And so I went to good old google.com and started Googling trail racing, what it was. Um, and the big series at that time was sky running. And so I just thought that was running because I, I also didn't think I, I could run 100 miles like that was unfathomable to me that I had that potential um, so yeah and I think what I really appreciate about that time in my life is I really took it at my own pace like I just was really focused on falling back in love with the sport and I wasn't really rushing it um, and so yeah each year I kind of leaned a little bit more in and I would say like 2019, I started to maybe commit to the craft a little bit more. And then 2020 came, which, you know, actually solidified that I wanted to commit more of my time to it. Um, and then coming out of 2020, I feel like I've just been getting better and better, which has been really fun. Yeah, I think 2020 for a lot of people was like, you know, it forced you to kind of like assess where you are in life, you know, yeah, and like yeah. <laughs> really prioritize what you wanted to do. Um, so that's that's super cool. There's a few things I wanted to touch on. Um, one, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Downey, California, which is just uh, south of L.A., like main so L.A. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Cool. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, your soccer career because I, I've talked to a lot of runners and for whatever reason, like soccer tends to translate really well to trail running. And I'm wondering like what your thoughts are on, on why that might be. Yeah, I think there's a couple things. One, it's you're not just moving forward. You're going sideways a lot, doing a lot of horizontal and your movement. And then you're also kind of manipulating the apparatus, which is the ball. And so your feet have to, you know, kind of do these complex patterns at time, depending on what type of player you are uh, and what type of finesse you have. And so I just feel like that really translates to those kind of neurological movements when you're navigating downhills and stuff, which I think is probably one of the biggest inhibitors for people feeling like they can't trail run. So, and then also I just think the uh, endurance aspect, to be honest, I mean, most soccer games, when you're younger, you're already playing an hour <laughs> and you're out there and of course it's split up, but, um, it's like you take those quarter breaks and then you have to get back out there for another 25 minutes. And so that's actually a pretty long time for like a young person to be out and participating in exercise. I don't think it's too much, but like now seeing that translate down the road where, you know, personally I was on a couple different soccer game teams and I know other friends were in the space. And so here I am playing six hours of soccer on the weekend and it's not, I guess, uh, I guess that translates really well. Yeah. I mean, you're just running all day. And yeah. like, you're not only just like running at a single pace, you're like, you know, sprinting to the ball and whatnot. That's and interesting. And, yeah. And eating. Exactly. Some orange slices. Yeah. Um, a connection that I just made was between like why like Europeans are so good at descending is maybe because they play soccer a ton or football as, as, a, as it's known over there. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say that for sure. <laughs> That's yeah. probably a direct translation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what kind of led you to choose running over soccer when you got to uh, college? 
I think it was that um, I had played soccer so much and it was such like a team, team sport. And I found myself on a couple of teams where uh, maybe I got a little frustrated because I couldn't control other people. And immediately I like, I like controllables. I like, I know, I understand there's, you can't control everything, but if I can control as much as possible and then that sets me up. Um, and so running for me was that in that I could, you know, have an effect individually and then also on the team level at, in cross country. Um, but yeah, it's pretty funny. I, even though I say that, like, I love being parts of teams in the trail running world, like Team USA, etc. cetera. Uh, it makes me feel more connected. Um, but yeah, at that time, I think that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, I also think that like there is a team component when you're racing individually, especially at the longer distances with your crew and such, uh, which is something that I didn't really anticipate until I started running ultras. Yeah. You mentioned your tenure at uh, UCSB, you know, not exactly going the way you planned at, at points. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could say more about that as well as maybe comment on uh, what advice you would give to high schoolers getting recruited to run at the collegiate level now. We can kind of split that up. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so going into UCSB, uh, I was really lucky in that like I was one of the top seniors coming out of the state of California. And so I kind of came with like quote unquote, a lot of promise and a bright future. Um, and so with that, I felt that expectations were kind of high for me on day one, instead of allowing me to kind of develop into the program. Um, I'm sure some of that was also self-induced because I wanted to contribute from day one. And so that with outside pressure as well, just kind of helped me or didn't, I combusted a little bit. And then also just wasn't I didn't really know how to get in shape for long term because in high school I had run so little uh, and the seasons were quite short. Whereas in college, you're kind of just you're living it almost 365 days a year. And I didn't really know how to sustain that, um, nor was I really given direction on how to sustain that in a healthy way. And so unfortunately, I uh, just wasn't fueling to perform in like my first year and felt fell really susceptible to that um, and then kind of dealt with injuries because of that my freshman and sophomore year. And then honestly, what changed a bit of that around is I ended up going to Yosemite uh, and living there for four months right before my junior year. And it kind of just helped me get my brain right as far as like going at my own pace. Um, and that's also where I now look back and I actually was trail running, but I didn't know it was trail running, but it felt very <laughs> invigorating. Um, so yeah, so I came into my junior year and it went it went well. And then I found myself uh, almost thinking that I needed to take those shortcuts again to get to the next level. And so um, my fourth and fifth year, again, just was plagued with injuries. Um, so yeah, I wasn't really being held back, but I was also not holding myself back. So I think it was kind of just like a perpetual vicious cycle all playing on itself um, with not a healthy balance with the sport too. Was it a pretty like high mileage program? Yes. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I mean, um, I was running like 100 mile weeks in college and I have yet to even get close to that uh, post collegiately. Um, and I'm better. Like I am a better overall athlete and I'm PRing and things I uh, from college. And it's just crazy to think that um, I thought that was the one recipe was to run a lot as much as possible. Yeah. There's so many different ways to skin a cat, you know? 
Yeah. <laughs> um, what were you doing in Yosemite for four months? I was working at a deli. Uh, <laughs> and oh, it was, cool. yeah, it was really cool. I lived in like a tent cabin. Uh, Curry Village is what it's called. It's like these white kind of, I don't know what you'd call them, but they're just, just barely a house. Um, and so, yeah, I lived there for four months and it was just really nice because like my phone didn't really work for four months there. Uh, there was like one Wi-Fi spot and between work and running, I just like couldn't use it. And yeah, it was just quite invigorating to be out there in the wild. And I saw so much wildlife, like so many bears, bobcats, huge, uh, what's called racks on deer and stuff. Um, so it was very much like a four month vision quest, I feel <laughs> for that time in my life. Um, yeah. but yeah, going back to the high schoolers, like if there's anything I would tell them is to really pick the school that you not only like the running team, but you could see yourself being happy at no matter what, like if somebody were to take away running, would you still be happy? Um, and then also looking at like the athletes that come out of those schools, post-collegiately and how well they're doing and if they were you know building up gradually are they still healthy is it a school where none of the athletes are running after and maybe ask yourself why so no those are all great points um so after you graduated how did that kind of like change your relationship to running i hated it <laughs> i wanted nothing to do with it i felt like um you know looking back it was a bit of a immature reaction but to me it felt almost like a relationship, like I gave everything to you and you gave me nothing back. I didn't get any, I didn't hit any of the goals that I wanted in college. Um, and I really just saw it at the surface level. And um, yeah, just the, I felt so much that I had been con like, I, again, I, I liked the control, but it was over control in my life too, where I was only told that I should run, like I couldn't do any other activities. And so it was almost like a, resentment toward the sport that I wasn't able to quote unquote live my life and I got nothing from it. Um, there's a lot of asterisks there in that I didn't know what opportunities I potentially could have had. Uh, obviously there was, there was a lot of things I was growing with at the time too. Um, so yeah, I just didn't want a sport and I didn't want to run. Uh, so I bought a motorcycle, started spear fishing, climbing, uh, doing everything but running and, um, it was such an important time in my life, to be honest, because it, I felt like I got a lot off of my chest. And when it all was said and done, I actually knew that I did love running and it was something that I did still want in my life. And so when it came to me, you know, I approached it cautiously and carefully. Um, but with like, Hey, I remember you, like, I remember how I first fell in love with you in middle school and how free I felt. Um, you're, you're familiar enough to me that I want to try this again. Um, so yeah. Tell me more about, uh, this period in your life when you're riding around on a motorcycle, <laughs> spearfishing all the time. Like, how'd you get into that? And like, what was that lifestyle like? Um, it felt very, um, opposite of my personality, which I think was again, necessary for personal growth. I just found in the outdoor community, there's a, there's just so much cool stuff that people do. Um, and it's sort of like a vagabond life. Um, and that it just was so fascinating to me, to me, I'd always like done what I thought I was supposed to do, got good grades, did the sport, checked off all every box that someone would give to me. And this was the time in my life where I don't know. I just felt like it was a freedom expression. Um, so yeah, I just found it really, I just, it was almost like 
I got addicted to the adrenaline that I didn't realize that running actually does provide in my life by pushing my body and my mental limits. And so I sought out activities that did that. And what I found is that they actually didn't do that in the same way that running does. All right. We got to talk about spearfishing because okay. I'm just like, I'm super interested. I, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's too many other uh, pro trail runners that, uh, that spearfish unless, unless you know some. No, no, I don't actually. <laughs> so I guess like, yeah, take me through that activity. So, um, what you do is, uh, you know, you suit up, you have like a special wetsuit, a weight belt, uh, a spear gun, or you can have, you could have different types again, but I had like a little bandito and, um, yeah, you have your fishing license here <laughs> or else you'll be fishing illegal and you go to places that you can fish in the ocean. And so you go to a shoreline or you can go off a kayak or a boat and, um, Santa Barbara was great for this because I still was living there. And so I would go from the shore and I would paddle out. And usually you always like want to be with someone. But yeah, you dive down and you look for the fish that are legal to catch, uh, say a rockfish. And you will maybe you eye it on the first one and you hold your breath long enough or maybe it just catches your eye. You come back up, go down, hold your breath again, shoot it. And then it's yours. If it's legal, it should be legal if you shoot it. Um, but I also found myself more fascinated with lobster diving, which was super fun. And so that's something that is more effective at night. And so you would go to spots that had lobsters during the season and you'd start at shore, paddle out and you grab them with your hand, which was just like the funnest thing to me. Cause at first, if you don't quite get it, like you will never catch a lobster. Um, but it's like these very quick attacks with your hand. Um, and they're just crazy creatures. They're so fast. Um, but yeah, that was really fun as well. Yeah. I've heard of, uh, a lot of my friends go like abalone diving, uh, yeah, it's very up here in the North. Exactly. Um, yeah. Which sounds so much fun, but also like quite scary. I think yeah. they, they've had some <laughs> shark encounters before. Yeah. I'd seen uh, a couple sharks out at the Channel Islands and they're, it's definitely spooky. Like you definitely reassess how much you actually love the ocean after you see a shark. Babylon diving specifically because you're in NorCal and colder waters. It's right. more likely you'll see a shark. Okay. Let's get back to <laughs> trail running. <laughs> that was a lovely tangent. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. So you kind of fell in love with running again. And how did that escalate from there? Um, I think it was just that I found that it was feeding that adrenaline heart that had, you know, kind of in, in started to emit itself in me. And then also I just started racing and I realized how much I loved racing. And I always have loved racing and, and competing, but I was just like, yes, like this is this is cool. And it's in this new sport that I really didn't know anything about. Um, so once I started racing, I had done a couple and then really what got me tied to the sport is I got sponsored pretty quick. <laughs> and so I found myself uh, with some resources to be able to like pursue this. Um, admittedly, I still feel like I was dealing with some life life learning that needed to happen uh in the early days of my career and so that's why i say like it really wasn't until 2019 so that would have been like two and a half years into my sponsorship that i felt like i was like okay i want to commit to this and give this everything that i have yeah and i've noticed throughout your career like everything seems pretty 
like measured and planned and like calculated. And I think a lot of people, when they get into uh, running trails, they immediately like sign up for a hundred, but you've kind of stuck to the sub ultra category. Uh, Why is that? Just because um, it was really fun to me, to be honest. And I, you know, there's a lot of trail runners I look up to, but I also look up to and respect a lot of road runners. And to me, like the sub ultra racing, like there's still so much potential there uh, with how the amount of time that these races take, like the two to three hours, it's essentially a marathon. And to think about how much improvement there has been on the men's and especially the women's marathon times uh, just tells me there's a lot of improvement to be there. Um, And also because I love racing, uh, when you race sub ultras, you can fit in a couple more during your year and it won't break you if you do it correctly whereas with ultras people are like you could only do like two a year and I was like well I'm not quite ready for that yet (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um I've heard you talk about how you approach uh races in the past and you always use the pronoun we which I imagine implies uh you and your coach so I'm wondering if you could talk about your relationship with your coach who you're coached by uh and and how that kind of started Yes. So uh, I'm coached by Terry Howell. He's based in Santa Barbara and we've been working together for six years and he is my coach. But at this point in my life, he's just so much more than that. Uh, He's just a really good, positive person. And going back to that era in my life where I didn't want to run and then, you know, I eventually started running. Then the next phase was I'm not going to get a coach though. Like I'll start running, but I'm not going to get another coach just based off of my most recent experience that I had. Um, And yeah, eventually I just found I'm not very good at coaching myself. (laughs) And so people um, recommended a few different people and I reached out to different coaches in the area because I didn't even know like that process. Nobody tells you how to get a coach after college. I just have always joined a team and there's a coach already there. Um, but yeah, I came across him at a coffee shop and immediately just within like a couple of minutes, he like believed I could do stuff that I believed I could do, but I felt that other people had told me I couldn't do. And so just having like that belief in me felt like an immediate connection. Um, and yeah, we just, I've, I have grown up as a woman with him and uh, we've gone through highs and lows. And so I feel like that's just cemented our relationship that even more. And, you know, I would say in the earlier years of our partnership, maybe there was times where he would tell me stuff and I'd be like, maybe I should get a different coach. And I would just kind of like sit with it for a few days. I'm like, no, he's just telling you the truth. And, you know, he's really nice and very positive. And the few times he's telling you the truth, like you want to walk the different way. Um, But really, that was like moments of growth for me, like he was just holding up a mirror to me. And so I appreciated and respected him even more for that. Um, And so, yeah, it's it's just been great partnering with him. How do you guys like go about structuring your training for uh, these shorter races? Um, Is there like you're frequently on the track, uh, which (laughs) gives me uh, a lot of anxiety (laughs) because I did not grow up with a track background, but uh, it seems to be working for you. Was that kind of your move or was that kind of reinforced by by your coach? Yeah, it it was a little I I would say it was mostly him at first, but I am 110% bought in at this point. And what had happened was when he first started coaching me, he's like, 
I told him what I was doing on the trails because I had a couple races at that point. And I was like, yeah, I'm feeling really fit. I'm feeling really strong. He's like, all right, let's go to the track. And I'm like, yeah, cool, whatever, like the track. And um, I, be I believe the workout was something like five by 800. And these paces are, are specific to me, but he was like, let's see if you could break three minutes in the 800. And being the arrogant 20 something year old I was at the time, I was like, break three. I was like, in college, I was running like two 30s for each of these. And I could not break three. And um, he was just like, I know you think your, your fitness is there for where you were, but um, it actually isn't there. And that was one of those days where I was like, wow, I just feel like, a grasshopper again at this point uh, I need to humble myself and listen to this guy um, so yeah we just have incorporated the track and I just really believe that it reinforces good form especially on the trails I feel like my arms get a little sluggish uh, I don't start to pick up my knees as high etc and I find that it really helps for downhill and like being able to sustain the fast paces that I need to be competitive how often are you on the track like per week? Um, right now it's a little tough in the, with the snow, but, um, I, an ideal training block at least like once every two weeks, maybe three weeks. That's, that's, I can stomach that. Yeah. <laughs> um, last like February, March, April, we were on it like two times a week. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, mammoth, cause we can, we can get into this cause I know you, you moved to mammoth within like with the last couple of years. Uh, mammoth has that like iconic track that uh oh, so beautiful <laughs> yeah yeah so why don't we hop into that so you were living in santa barbara for quite some time and when did you move to mammoth and what kind of prompted that transition yeah so mammoth has always been like a really special place to me um i used to come up here with my family growing up when i was in los angeles and to me it was like an escape from the concrete jungle growing up and even as a little kid i just thought it was so cool um and then when I went to college, it was the place for our altitude camp. So I felt, you know, a reconnection there. And I always just felt so strong leaving it. However, when I was in Santa Barbara prior to 2020, my job was based there. And so there was no way to live here. And I just felt that with the company I was at, was with at the time, like I wanted to stay there some years and build my career path, etc. Um, and then like many people in 2020, I was given the option of, hey, we don't know how long this is going to stick around for. You could um, you can work remote if you want. And then once we come back to the office, we'll come back. And uh, we never came back. So yeah, that's how I ended up here. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm, I'm jealous. Uh, I grew up <laughs> going to the Eastern Sierra as well. And, and Mammoth has always held a special place in my heart. Um, how do you think training there has benefited uh, your running, especially with all this, all these like European races that you've been doing? Yeah, it's, I think it's like a mix of things. One is uh, being more intentional in my day to day. In Santa Barbara, it's really fun. And I have a really good community there as well. And it's easy to get slightly distracted here and there. Um, whereas being up here, it's you and the mountains, pretty much. So I think just having more intention day to day. I think that perhaps might have naturally had already started happening, like I mentioned in 2019. Um, but being in a different place, I just feel gave it an extra oomph uh, because I had been in Santa Barbara for about a decade at that point and was craving something a little bit different. Um, and altitude, honestly, I have lived at sea level my entire life and 
prior to 2020, I would notice in races, like the girls who lived at altitude, uh, whether it was just in my mind or actually happening, I was just like, I just feel like they can climb stronger for that much longer than me. And uh, it was a stone to be turned and I wanted to turn it. Um, so, yeah. Have you kind of struggled to adapt to uh, the legitimate winters uh, over in, in Mammoth coming from, from Santa Barbara where you can kind of run year round? Yes. <laughs> it's It's been such a change because the the last two winters – uh, we're actually pretty dry. And so I've been, even this time last year, I was still on the track, whereas this winter is already a bit harder. It's been snowing nonstop. Um, but yeah, I would say the first two years, it was just getting used to being cold and uh, not being able to run on dirt year round, sometimes even the road. Uh, I am now a fan of the treadmill. I was never really on the treadmill pre- prior to the last three years. Um, but yeah, I think going back to that int- attentiveness, uh, it definitely makes me have to do that even more during the winter, which I have appreciated. Do you think there's any like downsides to being able to run year round? It's something I think about because I have like access to trails uh, yeah, every month. Um, but I'm also like frequently injured. <laughs> so I'm wondering <laughs> if like the move uh, to somewhere where like, you know, it might not be as appealing uh, to get outside for 10 miles in the morning, uh, kind of forces you to rest and, and might be better for, for your longevity. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Just my experience in Santa Barbara too. Like you can literally run year round. And I found that it's so perfect all the time, like a majority of the time that it's almost like something needed to happen to change it up. And so I would just start kind of playing around with things that really actually didn't need to be played around with because I was kind of given the same, I don't want to say mundaneness, but pretty much the same all the time, even though now being in in Mammoth, I'm like, well, I would kill for 65 degrees right now. Um, But yeah, I would just start running faster on my recovery runs when I really didn't need to. Um, So I just think it takes a different mental approach depending on where you are. Yeah, getting back to your idea of like being more attentive, like if the conditions are undesirable, you like think more about like what you're doing when you're running as opposed to just like spending a bunch of time in the sun. Yes, yes, (laughs) I would say so. Um, Like today I was running in the snow and I was running um, a slower pace than I would normally run, but I feel so recovered today. Whereas, you know, maybe if it wasn't snowy, I would have done that extra little bit and maybe going into my workout the next few days, I would be a little bit tired. So I just try to take it day by day. Let's hop into uh, a bit of a recap of your 2022 uh, racing season. Um, I noticed that you kind of raced a bit less than in years past. Uh, what's the logic behind that decision? Um, There was a couple of things. One was... In March, I kind of dealt with some vitamin D. So going back to the winter stuff, I got away with it the first winter. But last winter, my vitamin D just got shot. And so I had to take off a month. Um, And so originally, we were thinking of maybe starting a little bit sooner. Um, So that did push it back. And then I actually ended up being okay with that. Because the more we thought about it, OCC was such a big race with some big races leading into it that it was actually nice to have that delayed start. Um, And then another aspect was I was running on the track and looking to get some track PRs, and we had planned for that to go into April anyways. Gotcha. 
Yeah. And I mean, you also moved up in distance too, which, you know, (laughs) means means you're beating yourself up a little bit more. Uh, Yeah. What was the logic behind that, that choice too? Um, I mean, Mont Blanc Marathon and OCC are, uh, are what, like five to six hour efforts compared to, to two? Yeah. So uh, Mont Blanc is closer to four hours. Um, but yeah, OCC was over six hours, which was definitely the farthest and longest I've ever run in my life. And um, yeah, I just wanted to try it out, to be honest. I turned 30 this year. Um, it sounds weird to say, but like in the sub ultra space that I am in, like I'm of the older women, which I wouldn't even say we're old, but it's just like a very young person's area, I guess right now. I don't know how to say that, but yeah, I just wanted to try it out because I've found that I do love long runs and kind of being in that grind and being in that pocket of pain, um, that kind of lasts for hours and hours, um, as weird as that sounds. And so, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you get it. (laughs) And so I wanted to try it on a world stage, which, um, I was kind of laughing with my coach about that the other day and that like for our debut, we picked like one of the hardest versions of that race. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to see where I stacked up in the world and stuff. What were a few things that you changed about your training to accommodate running longer races? We So I've done back-to-back long runs before in my training, but we picked it, we went a little bit farther and a little bit harder during those efforts. And so um, just more time on feet. And so it wasn't like during the weekends, it was pretty common that I would get like two, three to four long runs back to back um, just to kind of try and mimic what it might feel like. Um, But everything else pretty much stayed the same. How did you adapt your nutrition? That was, I had a couple of really rough days (laughs) just trying things out and seeing what worked for me. Um, I feel like with like two to four hour races, you can get away with it just a bit. Like if you start to bonk, like maybe it's the last 30 minutes or something. Um, I will say like OCC still, there's still a lot of room for improvement with my nutrition. I'm happy with how it went, but just knowing how I felt at certain parts. Um, But yeah, it was just trial and error. I remember this one back-to-back long run. I'll never forget it. Um, I decided to try and do all liquid calories because I know athletes that do do that. And I felt so bad. Like I just was crawling the entire day. was out there way too long. Bonked within like the first half of the run. And I'm just like, all right, I'm not a liquid calorie person. Check that off the box. Uh, We'll try something else next weekend. (laughs) Yeah, I guess the more you know. Yeah, the more you know. (laughs) Cool. So why don't we just spend, you know, a handful of minutes uh, going through your performance at uh, the Mont Blanc Marathon and then OCC. uh, Because I noticed that you closed super, super hard in, in both those races. And uh, I kind of wanted to ask you about like your strategy um, for both. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, thanks for noticing. <laughs> um, so, so I did my homework. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Mont Blanc Marathon, the approach was, so this year was a little different. Normally the race ended at the top of the last climb. And this year they added one last descent, which I think was a great addition because you ended in town, whereas before people would have to take a gondola up. Um, And so just looking at the field and the women I had raced before and thinking of my strengths versus their strengths, et cetera, um, the whole first half is pretty much like a runnable 
in mountain running terms. It's still pretty hilly, um, 12K, and then you have a steep ascent and then a steep descent, and that's only halfway. And that already feels like a very hard part of the race. And then you have the whole next ascent and descent. And so just based off of experience from my 21 racing season, I decided that I would take the first descent just a little bit more relaxed because it is 30 minutes of hard descending or so. Um, and then trying to come back the later half of the race. And I will say that worked mostly, except I took my foot off the gas way too much on the descent and I lost like five places and I had all I came into the next aid station with so many concerned looking people at me like are you okay what's going on and I'm just like what happened and they're like you're like in ninth or tenth place and you know I was coming into the race hoping to podium maybe even pull off a win and I was like oh crap like I really let off way too much like I knew people were passing me and so um I hope to not replicate that exactly, but what did help is that I love racing. And so I'm just like, all right, let's get to work. Let's make this look like that wasn't uh, a mistake. And so <laughs> I just started grinding as much as possible. And I I was never really nervous, but I definitely had my eyes out just waiting to see that next person. And as soon as I saw the next woman, which maybe at that point was seventh place, that it was kind of all of them were together. So it was seventh, sixth, fifth. And then me and fourth actually went back and forth for quite some time. And I added a little bit more gas on the last descent. And I'm just like, all right, just make it. I was already feeling like crap. I'm like, I'm on the podium. This is great. Get to downtown. And she pulls up next to me with like a K to go. And people are going crazy around us. I was like, how in the heck did she just do that? Like, I'm dying. And I um, just full gas, pedal to the metal, use that track speed that I get yep. and uh, brought it into the finish. And there's like a couple of videos and photos of me, but I just look trash because I'm just fighting for that third place. So, yeah. What did you take from that uh, performance uh, into OCC? That I can close and that like if I have the energy for the second half of the race, I can usually run it or that I can run it well because um, I found myself going into a pretty dark space that that last half of Mont Blanc. Um, so also if there's like blood in the water, uh, I'm also that type of racer. So, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like you're you're very comfortable being in like long stretches of physical agony yeah. <laughs> uh, and i'm i'm wondering like what where your mind goes when you're just you know breathing through your ears yeah um yes i do have a strange fascination with that for sure um honestly i just feel like i get really hyper focused i felt this a bit in my 21 season not for the first time, but where I re recognized what was happening. Uh, there was this um, Golden Trail World Series final, and the heat was insane. Like, people were getting taken away in ambulances and stuff. And I just found that the hotter it got, the more hyper-focused I got. And, um, yeah, I just applied that really to every race that I did this year as much as I could. And Mont Blanc, that definitely happened, where I just felt a super hyper-focus and then Again, in OCC, I think that's the most hyper-focused I've ever been uh, in a race, probably. So now that you've had quite a bit of like international racing experience, I'm wondering if you can kind of compare and contrast uh, what you've noticed about 
uh, the Euro style of racing versus maybe what we see here in the U.S.? Yes. Um, European style racing. So first, the fandom there is just a couple notches higher. Um, they love the sport. I mean, it's broadcasted on their TVs and their radios and just everything. So it's constantly getting pushed out into um, the masses, I guess. So that's really cool. And the, t the actual racing itself is just so aggressive. They're really gutsy racers. And um, to me, it feels like championship style racing from college. Like there was normal season and then there's championship style. And um, yeah, they're just, they just go after it. And I really respect them for that. And so having raced there a couple, a handful of times now within the last few years, I feel like I've been able to kind of build out my playbook um, based on the profile and actually not get too get caught up in their style of racing and, and really keep to what I know works for me. Is there anything else you've kind of like picked up from them though? Like in terms of maybe, I'm thinking of like technical descending because I just. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's, yeah. It, it's balletic. Like they look like dancers going down the trail sometimes. Yes. You can't like the race isn't over until you cross the line. That is definitely, I've learned something from them. And so a lot of races, you know, kind of a textbook course is you end on a last descent and you do not let up on that last descent. Like you keep going because there's places to be got. And yeah, their descending is very, very impressive. Um, I definitely feel like I've gone up a notch uh, in my descending skills. Okay, so that kind of brings us um, to the present. I know you raced a handful of times after that. Are you in the middle of like an off season right now? So um, I'm not allowed. It's going to come out in the next couple of days, um, but I am training for a marathon. Um, and so I'm kind of in the building phase of that. So that's exciting. And um, yeah. It'll, that's all I can say, I guess, for now. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, have you kind of met with your coach and, and figured out what you want to do in 2023? Yes. Is there anything you can talk about? Yes. Yes. There is something. There's, I'll do OCC again. Okay. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I do have to do, I have to get like a stone or two um, to solidify my spot. But from all the podium finishers this year, we do have kind of like an open standing entry. And then when we fulfill that requirement, then we'll be in the, the race, which is nice. Um, and then it's kind of hard from there, to be honest, because I know I want to do OCC and kind of, I would love to do the Golden Trail World Series again and just doing it in a way that works um, because I was planning on hopefully doing Zagama soon because that's a, a big bucket list of mine, but I am getting married this year. Um, not a but. I am. Thank you. It's a great thing. And so I want to really protect that time. And that is in kind of that May time frame. And so now I'm seeing like where in the summer we could kind of fit everything else. But there is a race in Mammoth Lakes this year as part of the Golden Trail World Series. So I definitely plan on being there, which is really I, cool. I saw that Tim's race, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Were you there uh, for its inaugural running this year or I guess no, last year? Sadly, no. Um, I was at a different, the Golden Trail and Flagstaff right. at the time. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I might have to get out there for that. I think like I've run around Mammoth so much, but the idea of having a like 50K race there that is like a single loop is super cool. Yeah. And, and now that it's part of the Golden Trail World Series, it's it's even more exciting. 
yeah, I really hope people come out for that. I mean, he did such, I just hearing from people that were here and talking to him because he is a friend, like it just seems like it went as good as it could for a first year race and to be part of, you know, the sub ultra world series in its second year is just such a, a an honor really. And it's really cool to have, you know, the thought that so many world-class athletes are going to be here in California is, is exciting. So I think before we close, uh, I kind of wanted to ask you about um, your your long term ambitions. Uh, do you think you're going to continue to kind of like work your way up in distance, or are you pretty comfortable where you're at? That is a really good question because um, after OCC last year, I was like, you know what? Forget the the Golden Trail final. We're going to do 100k this year, and it's just so funny because so many people have told me that like you get this bug like once you do your next distance, you're like, well, 50 miles isn't that much longer. 100 miles actually seems very uh, doable now, um, but it didn't take too long after that where I was like, actually, that seems pretty far, um, and. I still have it as like a potential when me and my coach were still finessing like my 23 plan to maybe do a hundred K at the end of this year. Um, but it's looking more like next year, like early next year, because, um, how my golden trail series finished this year, doesn't it, I know I can do better and I want to do better. And so that means committing to that. Um, so giving that another shot is actually a higher priority right now. You just turned 30. I turned 30 pretty soon. We're still young. We got plenty of time to up the, the distance. Yes, I know. We do. We definitely do. And, you know, I feel like there's growing, there's becoming more and more individuals that are sticking with that sub ultra. I mean, there's people that have already done it, like Joe Gray, Mod Mathis, but it's like, it's just a couple of people where people don't really say like it's a thing. Um, but I think that's going to become more of the norm in the next couple of years. Yeah, I I would love to see the sub ultra distances get the same amount of attention as like, you know, the hundred milers, um, because it is like it's so exciting. And it's also easy to follow because the races aren't like 24 hours. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As a fan. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Uh, Well, that's all the questions I have for you. This has been really fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Danny for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.